In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. This is an exclusive audio presentation of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello, I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. I'm joined this week by political insider columnist Patricia Murphy to talk about the week that was in Georgia politics. Patricia, thank you for joining. Good morning. Well, let's start with a piece of political news that happened outside of Georgia. Brian Kemp's visit to the border with Mexico. He joined about 10 other governors in Texas to say, build the wall. It was the third time in the last year he's headed to the border. The troop levels have decreased by 1,000 on this mission, and then they decreased by another 500. So there's 1,500 less people now than when I was here before. But you have an influx of people coming. You'd think it would be actually the reverse of that. Channel 2 Action News had the only microphone there. We learned a lot of figures today. They've seized 8,800 pounds of drugs here. So, Patricia, to me, this one of the things this epitomizes is that As Donald Trump continues to blast Brian Kemp, the governor continues to stay firm to his agenda going all the way to Texas to remind folks that he supports building the wall, cracking down on the border, and and other anti-illegal immigration efforts. Yeah, and you wrote earlier this week about um, Brian Kemp's first campaign for governor, and we all saw that ad when he had a pickup truck and said he was going to use his truck to round up illegals himself. He has not been so vocally anti-immigrant really until the campaign season started to roll around again. And so this is his third trip to the border, as you said, just this year alone. Uh, There is a legitimate business there because Georgia National Guard troops are there on the border and he's visited them there before. But it's also just a huge political statement and um, kind of GOP message and will continue to be. When he was there, he was also there with 10 other Republican governors who all flew in together. So I think that tells you exactly what kind of role it's going to play in the politics going forward. They had a big press conference at the border, very critical of the Biden administration. Um, You know, it has to be said that the Trump administration also had a lot of trouble there on the border, had a huge scandal there um, with children being separated from their families. So it's, it's an incredibly difficult complicated, um, often overwhelming problem um, that no administration has really gotten its arms around, but it's also got a big political piece to it, as we saw with Kemp. Yeah. And that was one of the, you know, even when the governor, back when he was a candidate in 2017 and 2018, when he was saying he'd round up illegal criminals, aliens on on his own and his pickup truck and track and deport and, you know, do all these very stiff anti-illegal immigration efforts, 
like the whole time, you know, we, and we were reporting this, but look, the federal government is the, is the one in charge of this. And at the time, Donald Trump was, uh, was of course, the president. And so these are issues that have dogged both Democratic and Republican presidential administrations. But certainly right now, it's become a growing headache for Biden's administration as uh, there's been uh, more than 1.5 million border crossings in the last fiscal year. There have been record numbers of monthly apprehensions. And then most recently, the crisis with Haitian immigrants who crossed through Mexico and just swamped this, uh, this Texas town uh, that became a real, a real flashpoint in the entire debate. Yeah. And this has been, I mean, immigration has been a really troubling issue for, especially for Republicans over, yeah, I mean, for decades now. And the underlying problem is that Congress is just incapable of enacting actual immigration reform. So there are these wildly long wait times up to 10 or 15 years to get a legal visa um, to come or immigrate to the United States. So what has become much more popular and preferable for people trying to come in is to come in illegally. And there was a moment in 2000, I think it was 2006 or 2005, when both Saxby Shambliss and Johnny Isaacson were at uh, the state GOP meeting talking about their plans for immigration reform. And they got booed, both of them. And that was just, I think to me, that was the turning point for Georgia Republicans. Like if those two popular senators were going to get booed by their own base on that issue, it is going to be really hard for anyone to go back there again. Where any sort of leniency, any sort of um, you know, pathway to citizenship is looked at as as amnesty, which has become a toxic word in Republican politics. And look, my bold prediction is we're going to hear a lot more about immigration in the next few months yes. because it's the sort of issue that unites conservatives in a way that few others can. Polls consistently show it's more galvanizing than like hot button issues like abortion and guns. It's immigration. It's and and just uh, you know just this week we learned that not only is Governor Kemp going down to the border, but also Senate candidate Gary Black is headed there Friday and Saturday. So it, it, it will continue to be an issue that Republican candidates will will kind of rally around. Oh, for sure. What I'm so interested about Gary Black's visit is that when I talked to people in the agriculture industry around the state, and I was actually just up in North Georgia talking to an apple farmer, um, and he was saying that they desperately need immigration reform when it comes to at least temporary workers. They need a better way to have a workforce that can help them, um, particularly during harvest season and planting season. And because this immigration system has become so intractable and anything to do with touching immigration legislation is so toxic for Republicans, they've got a lot of their own voters in ag-heavy industries and ag-heavy part of the states in rural Georgia that really need immigration reform to be dealt with seriously and not in a way that is partisan, but in a way that's really meaningful and addresses the way that a legal workforce really could help them. And the apple farmer I talked to said they need to actually change what they're farming, like change the products they're using and producing because they simply don't have the workforce to help them harvest when they need to. You know, it's it's one it's it's interesting because it's one of those issues that that we wrote about earlier this week, which you know the last significant anti illegal immigration crackdown in Georgia was it was back in 2011 when Governor Deal. It was a big debate, and Governor Deal signed into law shortly after his election. And one of the biggest fallouts of that was that it was yeah Republican leaning farmers, you know, from farmers from very red r- rural areas in Georgia complained about it because they had much harder 
issues filling out their workforce because it became that much harder. There was a, the perception, you know, that, that Georgia was not going to be a home for, for, for migrant workers was, was working in some sense because they had fewer people try to try to apply for temporary work visas to go to Georgia and B, you know, they, these new crackdowns made it, made life more difficult uh, for people who weren't here illegally. So the supporters say, Hey, it's working. But at the same time, um, many of their many of their constituents in the farming industry are saying, "Hey, it's working too well, and we don't have the labor we need to actually, you know, to to actually get our product out." Yeah, and I think we see that in a number of industries. I think we hear it certainly from the construction industry. Um, mm-hmm. We hear it from the carpet industry up in Dalton. Um, there are anywhere you have a large need for a workforce, and especially now we hear so much about labor shortages and people literally cannot hire the people they need to keep their businesses open. I'm curious to see if that's going to be something that the business community starts to go to Republicans with to say, listen, we have a major problem here. People literally cannot keep their doors open right now. Um, and is there a way that they could address immigration in a way that's meaningful, um, that is balanced, but that really answers to the business communities, like very real needs. Like they don't talk about it much publicly, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's a real situation that I hear around the state, really everywhere I go. And if we'll see any significant legislative proposals from Kemp or his allies this year because, or no. I should say next year, because, you know, he's promised all sorts of changes and and he tackled the abortion issue. Um, but will he, will he season this issue in next legislative session or will he go for guns or another conservative base pleasing because he'll do something. We know it's an election year. So there'll be something very controversial and very base pleasing that he'll go after, but will it be immigration or will it be something else? We'll, we'll find out soon. Yeah, absolutely. And we know he needs something. I mean, listen, he's got this primary coming up and uh, not only does he need to make sure that he doesn't have a viable conservative alternative running against him, which he really doesn't right now. He needs to make sure that that base comes out for him. And even if conservative voters are at the polls, he needs them to vote for him, like actively vote for him. Don't just come out to vote for somebody like Herschel Walker if he makes it through the Senate primary. Um, come out and vote for Brian Kemp affirmatively um, when he really needs them to. So he needs them to really be energized for him in a state like Georgia that's more and more competitive. He cannot afford to have real red-blooded conservatives staying on the sidelines. Now, let's shift a little bit to Washington, where lawmakers kick the can on the debt ceiling a few more months The debate over the $3.5 trillion social spending and climate change package continued to grind away. We look, we know that Senators John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, Georgia's two newly elected Democrats, are supportive of the plan, but their centrist colleagues, they're, they're facing some pretty stiff pushback, aren't they? Yeah. And, you know, I think that um, the centrist colleagues, uh, right now it's just uh, two senators and a handful of uh, centrist Democrats in the House. One of those includes um, Carolyn Bordeaux. I don't think that they are a 2% view of voters. I think that there's a larger group of voters who are who would be a little concerned if they really dug into the details of a $4.5 trillion package. Um, and the problem is that there nobody knows the details of the $4.5 trillion package right now. And so Democrats really just need to get this top line um, number decided amongst themselves and then go forward. Um, but there are all kinds of programs in there um, that are really going to be tailored to um, frontline Democrats and Democrats, especially Raphael Warnock, who were up mm-hmm. for election in 2022. And, you know, when I scan 
uh, through the news and the papers every morning. There's a lot of Washington reporting, particularly about Warnock and items that Warnock has been able to get into that package, the $3.5 trillion package, more than $55 billion in spending for just for HBCUs to have their infrastructure upgraded and their buildings upgraded and modernized. That would be like a tenfold increase for HBCUs uh, just in that bill alone. There's so much in there. And somebody like Warnock, if he's able to message it, could really, really bring something home for 2022. Another piece in there is Medicaid expansion. He has pushed super hard for that and made an individual appeal to his Democratic colleagues who are like, no, this package is too big. They know Warnock needs to win in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And so Democrats are taking a look at that Medicaid expansion just because of Warnock. And so I think his role in this is really something we're going to continue to hear a lot about. And the Medicaid expansion provision is purely aimed at basically sweetening the pot. And there's different ways that Democrats are looking to, to go about it, but either providing the state more incentives to go ahead and expand Medicaid or create the kind of a workaround system for them to, to do it <laughs> without um, w- without the state support, because we know that Governor Brian Kemp, as long as he's in office, he will not support expanding that program. Uh, no, that's exactly right. Uh, the way that Warnock has described it, and he did a lot of national press earlier this week about this, is that there are uh, low-income Georgians who are covered by Medicaid, who have their Medicare and medical bills taken care of. And then there are middle and higher income Georgians who can afford premiums for health insurance. But there's a big group of Georgians, and he estimated that at about 600,000 Georgians, who are working. They are working at least one job. Households will have two, three, or four jobs, really just to pay the basics, to pay the bills. Um, But they cannot afford health insurance premiums. And so they've got this situation where they're working, but they're uninsured. And that's not a small number here in Georgia. So He's looking for a way, how can we get those people so that they are either covered by a government program or they have the the money to go out and purchase health insurance um, through the Affordable Care Act. And so that's what he's going to be trying to address. In a regular year, that would be a huge ask, um, but with a giant bill moving through and mm-hmm. a senator in Georgia who needs to win, I could sort of see it happening. And so we'll have to, we'll look at the details once this thing gets going forward. Yeah, I made a bold prediction that immigration would continue to be a major issue for Republicans. Well, look for Democrats, not just Senator Warnock, but if, you know, when we expect Stacey Abrams to run against Brian Kemp, just like in 2018, the centerpiece of, of her agenda was expanding Medicaid. I expect the same to be uh, next year. And, and the big question would be too, like, how do you get it through a, re- a Republican dominated legislature? Well, these incentives would certainly help sweeten that pot. Now, let's take a break real quick to hear from our brass, and we'll come back and talk about a lot more that happened this week. This is Politically Georgia. We journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution want to take a minute to thank our subscribers. Because of your support, we were able to make this podcast available to everyone. Our reporting and local journalism is because of subscriber support of our newspaper. If you are not a print or digital newspaper subscriber, Join us. Go to AJC.com and sign up today. Thank you, and continue to follow our reporting in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and online at AJC.com. Thanks, boss. (laughs) Now, (laughs) if you are not subscribing to The Jolt, which is our daily political newsletter that we put together with myself, Patricia, and Tia Mitchell. And Patricia, you wake up like at an ungodly hour, 3.30 or something in the morning, every morning. Will you miss this from GOP Senate leader Butch Miller? 
the fact of the matter is we have attracted many people to, our, to the state of Georgia that don't think like us. We need to make sure that we're attack, uh, attracting people to Georgia that do think like us. And if they don't think like us, they need to assimilate into our values and our culture. You need to assimilate. This is giving me like Star Trek flashbacks. He was answering a question about tax policy with talk show host Brian Pritchard on FetcherNews.com. And Patricia, the fallout is not is not going over very well with with Republicans and Democrats, to be honest. No, I I don't even know what he's talking about. It's not like people are joining a church. It's that they are moving to a state, usually for a job. So I, I don't know what Butch Miller is talking about. I mean, he's somebody in the state Senate who is not seen at all as a crackpot or like a loony or somebody who um, is way out in right field or left field all the time. So this was, I think, a moment where he was, uh, well, he, although he said that he meant what he said, you know, so we we have to take him at face value, but I'm not exactly sure. I, I honestly just don't even know what he was talking about. Um, if he's, if, if somebody's joining the, you know, the whole county Republican party, they might need to assimilate. Certainly if they're joining Butch Miller's church, Yes. Um, but I don't know. Moving to Georgia, that just makes zero sense. And he's really going to have to make sure that it's an adjustment for these candidates who are running statewide mm-hmm. right now. They typically have almost zero statewide attention on their own local legislative races. You know, they don't even represent an entire part of a city oftentimes, or they're in a very rural part of the county with very little press coverage. And so um, Miller and a number of these statewide uh, candidates on both sides are really under this glare, um, particularly with sort of instantaneous internet uh, coverage. And then thanks to the jolt, we'll blast it out statewide. And we know we have subscribers from all over the country reading the jolt as well. So their words are going to be taken um, much more seriously and watched much more carefully. Yeah. And for what it's worth, before I even tweeted it out, I, I checked with his team. I was like, hey, is this, you know, do you have any instant pushback for this? And basically, Butch Miller's team said, no, he meant what he said. And this again, you know, we talked about how Brian Kemp is, is, is trying to curry favor with the Trump wing. Well, well, you know, same thing. You know, maybe this was this was really a slip of the tongue. Maybe it wasn't. But either way, we know that Butch Miller, as he's running for lieutenant governor, has a very heady task ahead of him because He's known as this establishment, mainstream, backslapping, you know, kind of old school politician who can get along with Democrats, even if he pushes conservative issues in, in the state legislature. Well, he's running against Burt Jones, who has Donald Trump's endorsement. Burt Jones, who wrote the letter to Vice President Mike Pence urging him to block the Electoral College certification. Burt Jones, who was part of these Stop the Steal rallies and the Republican shadow slate of electors. In December, you know, so so you've got this kind of far right Republican who's got the Trump wing, you know, who can who can try to consolidate the Trump wing, and then there's Butch Miller who represents a more conventional brand of Republican politics, but he's trying his hardest right now to appeal to those conservatives in different ways, and and one of them one of them might be this quote, another one of them um, was not that long ago when he basically cleared the way. Um, for what could end up being a, a Republican legislature takeover of Fulton County's election system. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. And then also it was Butch Miller who said a couple of weeks ago that he would be planning to introduce a 
a version of the Texas abortion mm-hmm. bill, um, which was even seen as something that was too conservative, something that would not pass here in Georgia earlier, um, because it does not have exceptions, especially for rape and incest. Um, it's also a six-week abortion ban, but even more conservative than the one, um, or more, I guess, restrictive is the right word, uh, than the one that Georgia's already passed. So it was Butch Miller who raised his hand and said, yes, I'm going to introduce that. So that's going to be me doing that. Um, and all of this um, is because not only is Butch Miller uh, quite conservative, although has kind of a mainstream demeanor to him, um, to your point, he really is right now only speaking to the GOP base that he needs to um, appeal to in order to get through that Republican primary. And so it's this dynamic um, that I'll be watching really up and down the ticket. How far right do these statewide candidates have mm-hmm. to go to appeal to their Trump base and then still have a path back to the middle in order to be a viable statewide candidate in a general election. And it's a real, um, it's going to be a tricky balance for these guys. But right now there is no balance. It's like, pack your bags. We're going to the right flank and I'll call you when the primary's over. And one of the reasons is that's because pretty much every major candidate has either a, a, a significant you know, far right rival or if you're Brian Kemp, you've you've worried that the base will just stay home in general. So all of them have a, a sort of a pressure on them to go further right in a way that is making Democrats very very happy because the field is cleared for Stacey Abrams right now. Uh, Raphael Warnock will not face any significant intra-party opposition from from fellow Democrats. And then you know who knows what happens with some of these down ticket races. But you're already seeing some clear front runners on the Democratic side for some of these down ticket races. And look, as we're talking about some of this controversial legislation, especially legislation that Burt Jones, Butch Miller's rival in this, and for lieutenant governor in the Republican race, has, has proposed. Patricia, you had a, a big break this week about the people behind the, uh, the Buckhead cityhood movement. Yeah. And so uh, the the piece was not saying that the Buckhead City movement is about stop the steal or that it's about uh, not having people turn out or questioning um, the last election. That's really, it's distinct from the Buckhead City movement itself. But the people leading the Buckhead City movement, um, especially we'll start with the state senators who are sponsoring it, and that's Brandon Beach and Burt Jones. Um, they were two of the, they're two of Donald Trump's very closest allies in the state Senate in November and December, pushing for those hearings, calling the election a fraud, in, uh, uh, at least in the case of Brandon Beach and then for Burt Jones, pushing uh, to have an investigation into alleged improprieties uh, that really never turned up anything of the 2020 election. So, and they were at these rallies chanting, stop the steal. And then if you fast forward, I'm sorry, you rewind, um, Bill White, who is the face of uh, the Buckhead City movement, really the sort of self-appointed spokesman, uh, absolutely the energy behind this, um, is a transplanted New Yorker. He moved here about three years ago. Um, But when I uh, started to just research into his role in the last election, he was also at these stop the steal rallies and and not just attending, um, but Bill White was Uh, behind the podium um, with the speakers in front of the TV cameras. Um, And then uh, during uh, the count, the recount, and then leading up to January 6th, um, Bill White was tweeting about January 6th. And uh, in one deleted tweet uh, said, uh, all great patriots march into both houses of the Capitol. 
sit in those seats. Those are your seats. Um, and telling people to participate in um, and to go into the Capitol on January 6th. And so um, there is this overlay of the, the faces of the Buckhead City movement um, and the people who were very involved in the Stop the Steal effort in Georgia. Um, and I'll, I'll be just fascinated to see if they remain the faces mm-hmm. um, or if they start to recruit some more mainstream uh, mainstream backers of it to, to take their case to Georgians. Business leaders and you know yeah. local uh, local leaders and civic um, volunteers and, th- and that sort of thing. People who, who have more roots in Buckhead than someone who, who just moved here. Um, and look, you know, we talked about base pleasing legislation, um, and and it's fascinating to me how like how Buckhead cityhood has become this statewide calling card for Republican officials. You know, from from Gary Black, the Senate candidate going out there uh, having a press conference in Buckhead saying, I support Buckhead cityhood. Governor Kemp is saying he's open to the idea and that he understands why, why supporters um, w- want to push this. And then contrast that with the fact that every single lawmaker in the state legislature, as you've reported, who, who represents Buckhead is firmly against this idea. And of course, every mayoral candidate who is in the, you know, the top tier is also firmly against the idea. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, the reason the Georgia legislature matters is that uh, the General Assembly will be up to them in the regular session, so mm-hmm. starting in January, to consider a bill that we know is uh, to be introduced to allow for a referendum on the 2022 ballot for Buckhead voters um, to, if they want to, to break away from the city of Atlanta. And you said earlier in the podcast uh, that Brian Kemp's going to be looking for some far right high profile um, issue to really take on. Um, and Buckhead could be that, you know, mm-hmm. the stars could mm-hmm. align um, that here's something that is uh, in the name of uh, letting Buckhead voters just decide their own fate, but it also has this incredible red meat appeal to it now um, for a lot of dis- different reasons, mostly because it's taking a big swipe at the city of Atlanta and it's saying city of Atlanta, you can't, handle your own business, we're going to handle it for you. And that's been a theme so far of Brian Kemp's um, administration so far. So there is this sort of outside path that you could see the Buckhead City bill start to play if the stars uh, really aligned for them. Yeah, you know, it checks a lot of boxes for Brian Kemp and other Republicans. It's a swipe at, at one of the most reviled figures in 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 Democratic politics in Georgia, and that's Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. You know, they've had this very testy feud that has kind of disintegrated the, the strong city-state relations that has existed over the last decade or so between Nathan Deal and Kasim Reed. It checks the box on, you know, attacking crime, checks the box on local control of, of a favorite Republican talking point, if not necessarily uh, ideology, because we know that local control yeah. is ignored very often uh, uh, when, it, when it comes to some major issues. Um, and it checks the box on tax policy too, because uh, you could presume that a city of Buckhead might have different taxing policies and strategies than the city of Atlanta would. So it, it it's tailor-made. It looks like it's tailor-made for, for a big Republican push next year. And we hosted um, a, an AJC mayoral forum this past week. You can go check out our podcast where we broke it down moments after it finished. But one of the things that struck me was the candidates talking about a referendum as a fait accompli, like as mm. it's already happening. They were saying in 2022, when this comes up for a vote, wow. I will 
Oh my gosh. So that's that's how this debate has sort of shifted. That's what Mayor, former Mayor Kasim Reid was saying. It goes, when this comes up, I will be the one who can help defeat it because they are already they already know Republicans probably have the votes. They have a they have they have control of both chambers of the state legislature and the governor's office. So odds are against them blocking this plan this plan. Yeah, it's just so fascinating. Um, I think really who becomes the next mayor is going to play a big role also in um, in how this fares in the legislature. If it's somebody like Kasim Reed, who really does have a lot of relationships uh, in the state capitol because he was uh, in the state capitol for a number of years, um, I wonder if that doesn't maybe have uh, leaders tap the brakes on this, um, or if it's uh, one of the other candidates who um, who has fewer relationships up there. Um, if that they would just hit the gas. And so there are a lot of moving parts on this, but to me, it's just been something to really keep a close eye on because it feels like one of those things that once it starts to build its own momentum will be hard for people to control. They can't control Mm -hmm. really um, what happens eventually. And then they can't control the fallout from, from that if it goes forward either. So we'll, we'll be uh, reporting on it um, throughout its, throughout its life, however long it lasts. (laughs) However long it lasts. (laughs) Well, Patricia, that's about all the time we have in today's Politically Georgia podcast. But before we go, your favorite segment of our show, let's chat quickly about sports, AJC's newest podcast, just in time for Braves playoff baseball. Jay, take it away. Uh, Yes, we we have promotional items to pass across to you because we have launched the AJC Braves Report podcast uh, before and after every Braves game here in the playoffs. I'll be here along with uh, Gabe Burns, and uh, we open – Uh, on Thursday night, Friday morning, with Mark Bradley joining us from Milwaukee. And also another quick reminder that the Braves' first home game in the division series will be on Monday. First pitch is at 1 o'clock, which isn't great. However, that works perfect for our new pregame show that we're going to have during your lunch break. Gabe Birds and our columnist Michael Cunningham will join Brandon Adams to get you fired up for Game 3 of the division series. We'll have everything you need to know before first pitch. It is the AJC Braves News Now Battle for the A on AJC.com, Facebook, and YouTube. It'll be Monday at 11.30 in the morning. So we'll have a complete coverage on AJC.com and in the e-paper as well. And Patricia, if you can't find me on Monday between 1 and 4, you'll know why. Um, <laughs> I'm excited about that podcast, Jay. I'm going to be tuning in as well. Yep, you, can, you can find it uh, right on the sports page. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you will, Patricia. Well, thanks again for joining us. And folks, we'll be back next week. Have a safe and happy weekend. And uh, go Braves and go dogs. Thanks, guys. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. 
Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.